0: So, I want to start today with a bit of a confession. Um, I don't know if I owe the internet an apology or not, but I feel like you know we started this ministry year, which for us starts in September, talking about all the bad news in the world, and I have sort of uh, been mean to Facebook and the internet, and said, you know." try to encourage you maybe not to click on all the click holes and read all the articles and all the news uh, that you find on different social media sites on the internet because it's not always super encouraging or affirming or or, um, a million other things. So I feel like I've been kind of hard on Facebook and the internet. So to prove to you that the internet is not all bad, uh, today I'm happy to say that Facebook and the internet are giving back. I recently learned of something important from the internet. Apparently, cats like to squeeze into boxes. And someone posted on Facebook a link to a series of pictures, like the ones you'll see behind me, of cats curling up, scrunching up, and contorting their way into boxes of various sizes. Uh, there's even a website called catinabox.com. So if you don't get enough this morning, you can go there on your own. And I have another confession to make. Oh, look at those guys. The other confession is I'm not really a cat person. I'm more, oh man, I can't help myself but look over my shoulder. I'm I'm more of a dog guy, but even I have to admit that these are pretty cute and funny pictures. And I know it's a big cat in a big box. But you know, and sometimes you just need something that'll make you smile. And I'm showing them you today, actually, for a legitimate reason, although this still might be a little bit of a stretch, but I often think that I, my life feels a little bit like these big cats trying to scrunch into small boxes or containers. And it feels like, to me, like I'm trying to squeeze into a container sort of the important areas of my life. And I think this is what we like to do with our lives, and even in our understandings of faith. We like to make sense of things. So we build systems, expectations, rules that govern our lives and our faith. And we build containers and try to live inside of them. Containers make things more simple, more affordable, more controllable. They feel safer. But the problem is that our containers often have trouble being big enough for all of real life. When things get difficult, you know, when an important relationship that we're counting on ends, our heads pop out of the container. You know, our career takes an apparent plunge, our bum p- pops out of the other side. Oh wait, I'm sorry. These are cues. I forgot to give her the script. So, uh, oh, there we go. That's the bum pum- pum- pumping out. I know. I'm pandering. Um, As someone we care about gets sick or dies, the economy tanks, the Sixers seem to be on a 10-year plan, whatever, (laughs) the container doesn't work, and it frustrates us. And when this happens, eventually, we just aren't happy with that container anymore. When our system, our life expectations, our rules for how things should work, when they break down or they don't pan out like we expected, it can be unsettling. What can we trust? anymore. So for some of you, this has put you on a quest to discover something new or something deeper in life. You, you're considering whether faith, whether Jesus might have something to say to you and you're open in a new way because your life is breaking down the barriers. Some of you have been people of faith for a long, long time, but your life experience has unearthed some cracks in your container and it's kind of scary. Maybe you're worried about what this means for your continued faith. But what we're going to look at today is how, whether we realize it or not, wherever you are and whatever your experience is, there is a good chance that Jesus is the one who's breaking down the walls of the containers that you've built up in your life, even the ones that you have so carefully constructed or have been handed you by really good and well-meaning people. Jesus may well be the person who's shaking up your foundations in an effort to open you up to something better and new that just won't fit into the containers of your life, no matter how comfortable they seem. So today we'll see how he does this, and particularly how he does this through a miracle. This is our third week in our series on the miracles of Jesus, and miracles are the moments when we can see that God is alive and active in our lives and in the world around us. Their good news come to life. And when that happens, we'll see today, it can blow our containers to smithereens and leave us open to some new mind-blowing possibilities. Does that sound interesting? Yeah, yeah. All right, let's do it. This is Luke chapter 9. It's a little bit longer passage today. I'll read the whole thing to you. You can follow along behind me. It'll be projected. It's also in your bulletin. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John, referring to John the Baptist, had been raised from the dead. Others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took Them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowds away so that they can go to surrounding villages and countrysides and find food and lodging, because we're in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, about 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were there with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. So today we're going to look at this idea of breaking out of the box, or how Jesus can blow up the containers in our lives, how it can be a little bit scary sometimes very unsettling, but also open brand new worlds to us. And to do this, I think Jesus has a bit of a surprising approach. And what surprises me the most about this passage is what Jesus says to his disciples. And I don't think we should just dismiss lightly how insane, intense, and ridiculous his command to his followers to feed these 5,000 people is. You know, it's easy, I think, to see the shortcomings of Jesus' followers. But if I'm honest with myself, I completely see where they're coming from. This passage says there were 5,000 men at this gathering. And what that probably means is that Mary ha- there very well may have been 5,000 women as well, and who knows how many children with them. So it's likely that somewhere between ten to 20,000 people are gathered here to hear Jesus speak. That's a lot. So, when Jesus gives the command, you give them something to eat, I can see why Jesus' followers were surprised and taken back. But this is what Jesus does repeatedly in the stories of his life when he's interacting with people, and it's what we can expect too. He will give you a mission bigger than you, he challenges the containers of what we think is possible. Jesus is always asking for impossibly more than we can give. Not every request of his is impossibly more, but in almost every season of our lives, there's something that he's asking for that seems impossible. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Sell all of your possessions and give to the poor. Feed 20,000 people. And when this happens, I think we usually kind of fall into one camp or another. Maybe some of you are like heroes of faith, and you bop right into, it. "All right." But most of us, I think, think one of two things. We think it's just incapable impossible, incapable. You know, so you might identify with the disciples who say we only have five loaves and two fish. That can't feed 15, 20,000 people. For some of you, you might think, instead of, "I'm just too incapable. You might think, I'm too capable, and I know better. And you might identify with the people here and say, send them to the towns in the countrysides. Let them find lodging and food now. And that might fit some of you this morning. Maybe if you feel that it's not that you feel you're incapable, it's just that you're so capable that you've never really had to trust God to pull things off. That could be some of you. You excelled at school you got a great education, maybe you're in the career you've wanted, you're a success, and you're pretty much there, at least from your perspective, because you made it happen. So when you hear of an impossible task, you can shrug it off because Jesus couldn't really mean that. I know my capabilities, and that's too much. Let's send people into town. But the truth is that God gives us missions that are too big for us. Jesus has said to us as a community, you feed them. He's called us to participate in the renewal of Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is a fantastic place to live. I love the city. I love my neighborhood. I love this church. I love so much about Philadelphia. But if we're honest, our great city faces a lot of big challenges. Now, some of these challenges are easily visible. The city kind of has a problem with litter, some abandoned buildings, Paying teachers, okay. <laughs> so many of the schools in Philadelphia are struggling. The Pennsylvania Department of Education listed 12 Philadelphia schools as, quote-unquote, persistently dangerous. That was just two years ago. Once a hotbed for industry and jobs, many people in the city are facing tough economic times. Employment rate has approached 11%. And beyond immediately visible problems, a city, like all cities, suffers beyond what we can just see on the surface. There are cycles of poverty histories of racial tension and racism, spiritual disconnectedness, to name a few. And while living in Philadelphia is great, there's no question that it could be better. And it's a city crying out for renewal. And all of these things together, I think it's fair to say, are overwhelming. How could Jesus possibly ask us to take on those things? And let's be honest, we don't have the resources on our own, even with everyone chipping in, to tackle those types of problems. But when we think this way, when the disciples thought this way, we're missing it. This isn't what Jesus is asking us at all. He's asking this question or giving this command, you feed them, to point out a shift that needs to take place in the way we view ourselves. He wants us to see beyond ourselves. If you read other stories in the Bible, you will <coughs> often see that Jesus' disciples look pretty bad. They're usually saying the wrong thing, suggesting the wrong actions. Sometimes they're just dumbstruck and they don't know what to do at all. In fact, much of the action in the scriptural stories of Jesus could be described as Jesus' continual and ongoing attempts to reveal himself as the heavenly king and the disciples' continual failure to grasp it. And there's a repeating hang-up that the disciples have that keeps them from seeing Jesus as who he really is. They're continually seeing everything and filtering everything through the lens of their own ability. They're continually filtering everything through the lens of their own ability. And this will short-circuit any life of faith. And Jesus is trying to break them out of that pattern, that container that they've built. He knows that disciples can't feed the crowd with five loaves and two fish. He knows that. But he also knows that they're chronically focused on themselves and not even considering who he is and what he might be up to. Life is not about what we can do, but rather what Jesus is doing. The story is, this story is so important It's so important that it's one of the very few that appears in all four of the biographies of Jesus that we have in Scripture. There's only like 11 stories that appear in all four. And there's stories like Jesus on the cross, (laughs) the resurrection of Jesus, and this story. John, when telling this story, points out That when Jesus puts this challenge to the disciples, he does it only to test them. It says, quote, he already had in mind what he was going to do. So Jesus already knows what he's going to do, but he wants his followers to realize that their focus is off. If they want to live this extraordinary life with Jesus, something different, they have to look beyond their own capabilities and look for what Jesus is doing. How can we do this? Well, here's what it says in the passage. It says, He said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Here's what we can do we can offer Jesus what we have whatever we have you know some of us here we're too young some of us here are too old some of us here are busy with kids some of us here don't have much money we're limited and the mission is huge but it's not about us it's about Jesus and what he's doing it's about his heart of compassion for people it's about his heart for our school system and our teachers it's about his heart for families trying to get by. It's about his heart for safe neighborhoods for our children. It's about his heart for people to know him and experience him. It's about his plan for the renewal of Philadelphia. And from us, what he asks for is faith. And faith is simply offering what we have to him to use. It's, a, it's not disqualifying ourselves because we're too weak, or we think we know better. Faith is offering Jesus what I have and trusting he will multiply it. This is how our faith grows. This is how we connect personally as a community and as we reach out to offer a spiritually connected, purposeful, satisfying life to everyone in this city. And here's what we can gain from this. And here's what I think we can learn about Jesus as well. And that is that with Jesus, it's different. He is something different. That who he is and what it means is bigger than anyone expected. Containers can't hold him, he doesn't fit. And the big question surrounding this amazing miracle I don't know if you noticed this is this question Who is Jesus? <coughs> So the story before this miracle and the story afterward are people asking the question, who is Jesus? At the beginning, Herod says, he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back. And at the end of this passage, it says, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. And Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And the answer is, you're not any of those people. See, we have in our mind what a prophet is. We got a nice little container for that. We have in our mind who Elijah was. And they were expecting Elijah to come back, and he was a precursor to the Messiah coming. They had an idea, a picture of what that would be. John the Baptist, raised from the dead, probably wouldn't be expecting that, but they knew who John was. They knew what his message was. They knew what he was up to, what he could do. But Jesus wasn't any of those containers. He couldn't fit into any of those. Paul, the early church father who wrote most of the Christian scriptures, called Jesus the summation or the coming together, the culmination of all things. Jesus, the culmination, the summation of all things. You can't fit that in a box. You can't systematize that. You can't nail that down into a list of rules and expectations. It's the summation of all things. It's too big. He doesn't fit into any of our boxes. That's how come we can take what we have and offer it to the person who cannot be boxed in. And when he is, he breaks out. And when we box them in in our lives, things stop working, and he starts to crack the sides of those boxes or those containers. He starts to work his way out. Our heads pop out one end, our bums the other. And as it falls apart, we feel shaky. You feed them. I can't feed them. I have five loaves and two fishes. no container is big enough but a new world is wide open that's where you want to live that's where i'm desperately trying to live what do i mean a new world is open wide open i mean the containers we fashion around jesus are not jesus there are best attempts to make sense of him and to make sense of life they're well-intentioned but they're also limited Sometimes it can be really unsettling, even scary when those containers start to break apart, and we have to remember that just because a system that we've bought into or a perspective that we've always had or, a, or life doesn't match up with our expectations, just because our container, the one that we've so carefully built, the one that has been handed to us by well-meaning people, just because that container is breaking down doesn't mean that Jesus... Is breaking down in fact it's probably not that jesus is breaking down as much it is that he is breaking out of the limiting view that we've been holding him in that's what he does that's what he does in this passage who do you say i am and he breaks out of our expectations to show us more possibility Do you think that the people in this passage, do you think that Jesus' followers had a bigger picture of who Jesus was before or after this miracle? They probably realize there's a lot more I have to figure out. Some of the things that I thought about Jesus weren't true. But do you think that opened up a bigger world to them or shook their foundations? Sometimes maybe the foundations get shaken as a bigger world is open. That's what he does. Every perspective of who Jesus was in this passage is limiting compared to who Jesus really was and is. No one could imagine the height, the depth, the distance of who they were really dealing with. And they were slow to catch up, but when they got a glimpse, they gave their whole lives to it. So, wherever you are in life right now, maybe this isn't the message for you today. Maybe it's the message you need to log in your data banks to pull up five years from now. I don't know. But I would say this. Don't throw Jesus out with the container. There's too much to gain. You know, I've actually, it's been like two months now. Um, I, I gave a sermon, and um, I mentioned a group that I led in the past called Faith Reimagined, which is for people who are kind of experiencing this, the, the corner sort of cracking, and the perspectives they have on life and faith can be a little unsettling. Some people may maybe even thinking of pitching faith, maybe on the front end of faith but you have things that bother you about your perceptions of what it would mean to follow Jesus. And I do a group for that, where we get to talk about those things. And it's a safe, open environment where you can share and listen. No one's going to judge you. You can be honest. And it could be one of these opportunities to reexamine and reimagine what it is that you've been given as a perspective of faith or that you've put together Throughout your life, that's sort of breaking down. And I had a baby. <laughs> we had Holy Week to plan for, so I hadn't been able to plan another session as quickly as I can as so I wanted to. But on May 25th, we're going to launch another one of these groups. If that's you, you reached out a couple months ago, and I sent you an email saying it's coming. It's coming, May 25th. But if that's you today, and you're interested in that group, can you just write on the back of your Connect card, Faith Reimagined? When you drop it in the offering plates later, I'll reach out to you this week. I'll make sure you know you're in the know and you know what's going on. But I can tell you this, Thursday nights, May 25th, five weeks, Faith Reimagine. And the hope, I think, of this passage is that this is a good thing, that Jesus has a life and a mission for you that's bigger than you expect. But we have to allow ourselves to see beyond ourselves to experience a mind-blowing reality with Jesus. The containers have to go. And as scary as that is, it's a really good thing. Let's pray. Jesus, I am like with everyone seated here today, uh, often really struggling To see you clearly, see what you're doing clearly, um, to get out of my preconceived notions of, of what can happen. But I pray for our whole church that when we're stuck, that in as gentle a way as possible, you would just poke some holes into whatever it is that's getting in the way of seeing you more clearly or opening us up to what you're doing in the world. And we say that you are good and as gentle as you possibly can be, and we can trust you. So when we feel shaky, we pray for your presence. And we pray for more of you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.